Welcome to Soundbreaker. I'm your host, Bob Shammy, and we are about to break the silence. Join me as we go behind the scenes and meet some of the most influential names in the music industry. Get ready for remarkable success stories that break the norms and defy the odds. From dreams to success, from challenges to victory, an exclusive backstage pass into the lives of music trailblazers as they create their own path to success. This is Soundbreaker. Welcome to Soundbreaker. On today's episode, we're talking to Grayson Sanders, who is a groundbreaker in the music industry. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, for our listeners who might not be familiar with you, could you please uh, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself before we dive sure. into it? Just a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Bob. Um, so my, my name pleasure. is Grayson. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a platform called Cordal. Um, the goal of the platform is essentially to bring the content industry closer to the music industry. Uh, the goal is to increase sync licensing opportunities for artists, um, full stop. So typically when I, when I describe it on a really high level, um, you can think about Cordal kind of like a combination of, as crazy as it sounds, Spotify plus LinkedIn plus a library management solution. Um, so when I spread that into three pillars, what that basically means is there's a personalized and smart discovery experience um, that's built entirely from the POV of music for media. So it's a different type of discovery experience, discovery environment than, uh, than a DSP, which is made solely for listening. Um, the LinkedIn sort of layer is a professional network. There's a social layer that uh, really powers real-time collaboration um, and connectivity in the network. The novel aspect of this is that it's driven actually by rights management, which maybe we can get into later. Um, but then the, the library component is just that in order to facilitate and actually do your job in this space, you need to be able to manage the library, uh, share it, pitch it, um, project manage. So the solution covers all of that too. All in one. This is amazing. Really amazing. Um, I want to take us back just a bit, go back in the past and see how, how did you get started in the music industry and where the passion came from? If we can go back to your childhood and say, hey, my parents influenced me, my cousin, my passion, my love for music, my, if there's any of that, or in college. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I come from a musical family. My mom uh, was an opera singer. Um, my dad wow. uh, was a painter. So uh, definitely a creative family, um, which definitely inspired me a lot as a kid. I was, uh -huh. from an early age, wanting to be involved in music. Um, playing piano and, and I, I ultimately uh, ended up going to school for composition. So I majored in classical music. That was a huge passion. Um, and so, you know, of course, navigating through how you make a career out of that, uh, you get out. Mm -hmm. inevitably you, you encounter, you know, the, the, the type of reconciliation between, all right, well, how much music am I going to get to make versus the business component that needs to be woven in? I was surrounded by a lot of people in the community. Uh, I didn't mention, but I grew up in the Northeast. So I went to school in New York and I was living there. I was involved in the experimental music community there. And so a lot of the, my, my peers um, were doing incredible work, but were working multiple jobs to support their passion. They weren't making enough money doing it. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure we're going to touch on this, but a lot of that observation ended up informing why we decided to do what we did with Portal. So. So right after graduation from college, you pretty much went on and you uh, went for business for yourself. 
and start, started kind well, of experimenting was, and yeah i mean i was um i was working professionally as, as a classical musician so i was writing music for chamber ensembles and I was also touring in an indie band and so you were symphonic also composer correct exactly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so that, that was you know my focus throughout school and after was how can i essentially make classical composition uh, the traditional like commission-based work uh, my full-time job and it's a very hard path um it's certainly yeah. as i was saying before you know m most of my peers who are doing incredible work and getting commissions from big orchestras were also you know part-timing at restaurants um and so a lot of what i was seeing was like there's definitely a disconnect between yeah. uh, it, it's not just like quality of output or whether yeah. the music is popular or experimental that determines whether you can have a career. There's actually like a knowledge difference. There's a, there's a disparity between um, the people who are making careers out of this and the people that aren't, um, and, mm -hmm. you know, obviously sync and able to, you know, the ability to well, make money off of licensing is a huge aspect of that. Well, that's where my next question is as a composer, symphonic composer turn to, uh, a co-founder and CEO of two platforms, you know, Cordell and Safari Riot. How did that influence, you know, your shift into the sync and collaborative music space? Sure. I mean, I was very fortunate to have met some people early on in my career who were connected into the publishing world um, and doing something, doing things in sync. And, yeah. Uh, so my, my current partner in Cordell and Safari Riot, uh, Jerry Yeo, yeah. he had moved out to Los Angeles. We went to school together. He moved out to get his master's and was working for a publishing company out here. And he called me up and, and, and asked if I wanted to, to maybe get involved with creating some work for them. And um, pretty soon after, I, I got a sync license. And for me, at the time, that was the most money I'd ever seen in one place. I couldn't believe that that was possible, really, as a 23-year-old. Um, mm -hmm. And so as someone who has always sort of had entrepreneurial inclinations outside of just being an artist, I felt like I could potentially, if, if you know, moving out and partnering with Jerry, um, forming a company could potentially expose this to more artists and make, you know, increase the opportunities in this space. Um, obviously, Safari Riot, for those who don't know, is a sync agency and label. We started that back in 2015. It's... Um, you know, highly bespoke, highly individual, very, very small roster, did some great work in entertainment. But pretty soon after starting that company, we realized that there's obviously th there's a lot of nuance to the relationship of the business. There's a lot of creative, creative creativity and context um, that drives the, the enterprise sync business. But there's also a lot of it that doesn't necessarily need to be driven solely by those soft skills. There's like a knowledge difference. As I was saying, there's a disparity yeah. of knowledge and understanding about how this part of the industry actually works functionally, um, creatively, legally. And so we yes. thought like we should do a, you know, we should be involved in creating a solution that's agnostic that can bring this to more people. Um, that's how Cordal really came out from that. Got it. So you can bring the artist and then, have the agency to kind of monetize uh, on the artist, uh, you know, uh, work, music, and albums, and singles, and all of that. Um, when you started 
the sink in the sink business back in 2000 for, uh, you know 15 i mean it's a very competitive business there's a lot of companies out there a ton yeah i mean some i know of and you know i'm sure some of them you know we both know you know was it yeah. was it a, a big thing like hey wait a second it's a really very tough business as you mentioned earlier, a little while ago you said hey a lot of it built on relationships but still you need music catalogs you need uh, a relationship with ad agencies and production aid you know it's like really it's a lot of uh, components that you need to connect together in order to have a successful uh, sync business which you managed to do obviously you know <laughs> Well, I, th I think that when I, well, if you zoom out a little bit and you look at the business, there's obviously yeah. a huge spectrum of what sync licensing means from yes. the biggest ads and film soundtrack placements Correct. down to the micro licensing world, right? And so, yeah. yes, you're right that, that the relationships um, and the gatekeepers who are oriented around those discussions for the biggest syncs definitely require, um, you know, decades of learning the skills, learning the talk, learning what works creatively. And those are like all extremely valuable services yeah. that, that agents and music companies provide for their artists and songwriter clients. I think that that is never going to go away. That should be augmented by more exposure to more global buyers. Mm -hmm. And you have this whole other echelon of, of music licensing that is, you know, currently being chewed up more and more every year by platforms that are providing like royalty free stock solutions. And they're, they're, they're coming in to fill that market share in this space where artist music is perceived as too complex, too slow um, to, to actually license. And so you end up with creators um, getting licenses for music that maybe isn't their first choice because they would love to get, a legal license from that band that they like that they found on Spotify or that local artist of theirs, but there's not really a legal framework in place for those profiles of individuals to, to legally function in licensing. So for, for what Cordal is trying to accomplish here is like on the B2B level, basically say that, you know, you're not going to just like come in with an AI and say, we're getting rid of human beings. That was my next automated. question. That yeah. was my next question. Because right. that's what opened my head. I'm like, wait, what do you think of AI coming to play to sync licensing? You know, And I want to touch also on some of the big platforms uh, such as uh, uh, Getty Images and others You know, mm -hmm. who also have a side where you can go and you know, license whatever you want. They have a huge, massive music catalogs, you know. Without also, yeah. you know, there's a lot of play. Like a lot of things really worked against you, and you, you and your partner managed to create a great success. You know, in, in that field of, of sync well, licensing era. I think Arena. that. I mean, well, thank you. I mean, I, I think that our our ethos really is that there needs to be a force in the market pushing back yeah. on this idea that yeah. music from the artists that you like is going to be too slow, complicated, or, or expensive. One of these combinations to actually Correct. legally license. So I need to go get a piece of AI music or royalty-free music. I'm not discounting that production music has a value in this whole system. It's mm -hmm. just that it should be a utility. It shouldn't be a necessity. So like we, we sort of operate under this idea that the music industry does not have a supply problem. It has an access problem. And so that access comes down to the data, the rights data that's, that's attributed to this music the actual literal files and the assets that you need to work as a creative working on a video, 
Um, and then also the individuals that own and represent these works in a, in a real sense, in a social, in a collaborative sense, like I need to be able to find you as fast as possible. The person who owns this work, I need to talk to you about the project I'm working on and then have a legal framework that where we can easily get that deal done. And so are you saying they, they holding on to that music, let's say famous artists, they're not letting go of it. Is it greed that they want too much money? Or just, you know, they kind of, they're holding on to it. They don't want to, like, major labels or rights holder for such big artists and big names, let's say, for want it to be used for commercials, for movies, or for something, if it's not a major film, let's say, independent film or just a regular commercial. I wouldn't say <clears throat> that it's greed. I just I just think that there are there have only traditionally been kind of like these blunt knife solutions to the, in this business that basically mm. say, all right, well, it's either the tiniest, tiniest micro license where everyone's getting shoved into the same rate card price. Which YouTube or, does a lot of that, yes. Yeah, or yeah. it's fully negotiated traditionally between legal teams and doing the B2B sync. I think that there is a lot of space in between for solutions that can bring those buyers and sellers, no matter where you are in the marketplace, bring them closer together. Um, mm -hmm. And allow them to facilitate those deals directly in a more streamlined way that doesn't require you to like surrender your brand, right? And Got so, it. and that goes for the top forty artists you mentioned, just as it does for yeah. the the band on Bandcamp. The independent, or, yeah, production, yeah, yes. exactly, yeah. yeah. And what do you think of AI? Is it AI going to start filling a lot of the gaps right now, and then start taking over more? You think? Uh, you are know, you referring to like generative AI? Generative for yeah. yes, yes for I think generative, for a sync license. Yeah, I think generative AI is going to put a lot of stress on the production music industry um, uh -huh. because production music traditionally has been utility, it's, uh, it's useful music that's been yes. created for a purpose. It's not attached to a brand. It's not attached to an artist, right? And so, correct. I personally think that the cult of personality is going to be the greatest currency. Everyone's talking about this. It's going to be the greatest currency in the next ten years. It's like making sure that you're really driving the story behind an artist. And what I think is super exciting about sync licensing is like, not only is it a good revenue stream, but it's an incredible marketing tool that a lot of teams, obviously the big companies, they understand this, but a lot of artists don't think about sync as an incredible marketing tool where it is. brands and agencies really care about the story of the artist now more than ever. They want to know who it is that they're licensing. They want to leverage that fan base for more impressions. They want to drive that campaign um, in a collaborative way. So I don't really think AI is going to put pressure on the artist sync business, but I certainly think, or at least in, a, in an obvious way in the short term, but I think it's definitely yeah. going, to, going to challenge uh, the production music world in a serious way. Well, yeah. as an independent artist supporter you are because of your platforms, uh, you know, do you think that what uh, uh, Spotify you know, kind of released it very controversial in regards to if you have up to 999 streams, you're not going to get paid. Is that something mm. going to kind of discourage independent artists from producing, from, from uh, producing new music? Because all independent artists became major artists, and that's how it starts. You know that. Mm -hmm. And is that going to kind of, because you support independent artists, and it's like, I'm all for it. And independent should stand, you know, stand up and actually work on their story, promote themselves, and create all of that. So when we use them for sync, there's something behind it. There's a little thing mm -hmm. behind it. So with that, you think a discouraging thing to kind of the growth, stop the growth or eliminate the growth of independent artists in the, in the near future? 
Um, I actually think that the revenue that's that's captured to artists by making mm-hmm. this change uh, mm-hmm. Spotify made is actually going to offset maybe that the small few fractions of a cent someone would have made if they didn't hit that streaming threshold. I don't think yeah. it's going to discourage ultimately uh, artists from continuing to release music and try, trying to grow their careers. I, I actually think it's a very positive move. Mm-hmm. Which independent artists, maybe they'll push themselves more into other platforms, other DSPs. Exactly. Acting, you know, not because there's a ton of them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, D- DSPs, of course, for streaming success, but, you know. Social media. S- social media, building your brand that way. Uh, TikTok. Yeah, like yeah, sync, microsync, and you know the big TV spots that everyone wants. Correct. Those are all yeah. incredible drivers of those of brands too. So yeah, great, great insights, <laughs> great <laughs> insights. Uh, your involvement in, excuse me, your involvement in collective art. Uh, excuse me if I don't pronounce it right. Uh, Ateya Mateya, am I right? Oh, Ateya. Uh, uh, yeah, Adia Media. Adia Media. Yeah. Media. Okay, Adia Media is uh, very intriguing. Uh, how did these experiences uh, intersection in, uh, of creativity and technology and music? You know. Yeah. So it was it was an art collective. It's no longer around. Um, yeah. Around the time when I was running the school in New York, I co-ran an art collective with some other folks in tech and art, and we used to put on these warehouse events in Brooklyn. Um, that essentially were bringing together composers and chefs and olfactory artists and uh, video folks. And there was always a tech component to it. So we were building, you know, Max MSP rigs and Touch Designer. And we actually built iPhone apps for interactive video. All of that was really very much in service of actually putting on an art performance um, Mm -hmm. and and having an engaging experience for uh, for the audience. But Mm -hmm. that that was certainly my first real deep dive and exposure into um, technical development and product development. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though that was well before a solid 10 years before, before Cordal came around, um, it was, it definitely like started my bug in, uh, in the product side. So I was, uh-huh. I was always working on building things. Interesting. I mean, your combination of tech uh, passion for tech and uh, pursuing it, and plus the music, is a very interesting combination that actually needed in our times right now because it's yeah. no longer just music. And music, I think, added another word to it: tech. Right mm-hmm. now, it has you know, if you disconnect from that, it does not going to work at all. It's not. Yeah, in terms of opportunity generation, I think it's, yes. it's crucial that um, yeah. no matter where you are in your career progress as an artist yeah. that you are managing your tools and you're in command yeah. of the yes. ways that you can be yeah. getting yourself out there. Yes. Um, you know, your creation, uh, or, you know, of, uh, uh, I would say Cordal, you and Jerry, your partner, you know, entering these spaces, I would say Cordal specifically aimed to increase opportunities for artists. Um, yeah. Can you tell us, you know, add, I know we spoke and you mentioned if you could tell us more how it did also. Yeah. Um, so we have addressed the the nuances of the sync business in a slightly mm-hmm. unique way. Um, obviously, as I was saying before, the connectivity between people is very important in this business. Um, I think that AI, at least the way we're leverage, leveraging it, 
right now um, is purely driving uh, discovery, recommendation, search, all the things that will help surface music better based on who you are, what you're looking for, the types of projects you work on. But, you know, the foundation of it, separate from discovery, foundation of sync are people. And so the way that Cordal works that's very unique compared to any other platform in sync is that mm -hmm. when, when somebody joins the platform and they upload their catalog to their account, if their piece of music has never been on Cordal before, that actually now becomes the source of truth. So that's the only version of that audio file that's ever going to live on our network. Now, what we observed was in the music industry, the likelihood of you sharing a copyright with someone else is extremely high because of the way rights management works. If I might own the master, I might have a share of the songwriting. Um, mm -hmm. I might actually be a sync rep in Europe. I could be yeah. a sub publisher in this other territory. And we thought, you know, when we zoomed out, we were looking at the tools that people were using to manage their sync businesses. And we felt, we felt that it was a bit of a shame that all of these catalogs are living in these kind of islands on different cloud servers. People are working on these different sort of library environments and none of them are talking to each other. So mm -hmm. the way Cordal works instead is, let's go back to my example of, of your source of truth. You uploaded a file, it's never been on the platform before. Mm -hmm. Now, if one of your copyright partners joins Cordal down the line, maybe three, six months, 12 months, and they join Cordal, they upload their catalog, we say, hey, this is actually already here. This, this partner of yours added it. What's your relationship to this song? That, that party now puts in that, that one extra step is they put in their relationship to it. They own this piece, they publish this piece, they rep this piece, whatever. And now the platform begins to connect them by those rights on that one song. So now you're both looking at the same track. Mm -hmm. And so what that really means for, for the business, if you think about it, is that as more people are joining and more people are connecting, you're building these little networks around every song where you have these managers, artists, reps, publishers, labels, and everyone's there on a track-by-track -track basis. So if, if you come in and you're looking for a song and you want to license it, you have everyone that you need to, to get the deal done with in one place. Um, and so on the platform, you can actually talk, you can discuss, you can share things really fast in a collaborative way. Um, and interesting. you can license. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. I mean, your metadata has to be super, super accurate. The metadata. That's very pivotal in, in this situation. It got to be 150% accurate. The metadata mm. of each artist when they put their music in. Mm. And, and so, yeah. Yeah. So ahead. on that point, we, we have been making deals with distributors mm -hmm. so that, so that the, the music flows in at the metadata com coming from the master side flows in the same way that it flows in to the other DSPs. Um, and so that's in the master side. And then the publishers are serving CWRs and other things. Um, we don't take any second source rights information. So everything comes first source from the rights holder. And then our uh -huh. system was kind of novel about the way it works is it's kind of reconciling these things as conflicts and claims um, and things can't be eligible for licensing until they're you know fully verified. When you say uh, when you say distributors, uh, you mean aggregators, correct? Like music really? distribute, like music distributors, like Fuga yes. and others. Um, Fuga, yeah, that, okay, Fuga, yeah. yeah, aggregators, yeah. So basically, let's say I'm an artist and I have my song, let's say with Fuga or Believe Digital or the Orchard or one of the, and you have deals obviously with all of them. And let's say 
I put my song up, but then you have a deal with Fuga or Believe Digital, and they send you part of their catalog they're distributing for obviously for sync uh, for sync right opportunities. Now, how do that work? What's like? Wouldn't be as you said. There's a network, but who would get paid first? Is it whoever supplied you with the music first, or you know what I mean? Like, would I get the money for sync licensing opportunity, or it has to go to Fuga and Fuga will distribute the money? Uh, it slightly differs depending on the deal that we have with the company. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason being is there are some, uh, you know, you can upload music to Portal directly and you mm-hmm. can receive music from your distributor. So if you're uploading music directly to the platform, maybe it's not commercially released. Maybe it's uh, a demo. Maybe it's a work in progress or mm-hmm. something that's never going to be commercially released. Um, in those instances, the payments would be, would be going straight to you or the other rights holders in your split. Uh, and uh-huh. so the, the platform facilitates those payment splits amongst the uh, the rights holders um, on the work. In the mm. case of the distributor, it works slightly differently. Uh, again, yeah. d- depends on the deal. Um, but in some instances, the distributors uh, want to be the one to distribute the the funds to their yeah. label clients uh, or their yes. master side clients directly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it goes back upstream to them and then it. is distributed out. Got it. Um, collaborative platforms like uh, Cordal are pivotal in changing the music industry. Can you highlight some notable success, impactful collaborations uh, that have engaged uh, or emerged through Cordal? Yeah, I mean, honestly, one of our, the, the, the way that we view our biggest success, especially in the early days, I don't think we mentioned this, but we've we came out of beta just six months ago. So this is a still a very new platform. Um, Congratulations. We, we, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> we were developing for close to four years because it is a, a very big undertaking to build this type of solution. Um, yeah. But we came out of beta in March and we've experienced tremendous growth in that time. The thing that we're most proud of, I think, so far is just the quality uh, and credibility of the rights holder partners that have adopted. Um, a lot of these companies have never been on a platform like this before. Uh, and the reason being, I think, is that people are acknowledging how much um, brand optics, copyright value protection are huge priorities for us. This is mm-hmm. not a this is not a, you know rubbing elbows with bargain bin type of uh, type of approach. This is very much um, a bespoke looking at each business and and figuring out how um, we can make sure that their music is more accessible on a much wider scale than ever before without sacrificing their copyright or brand value. So I think, number one, we're proud of the the the, uh, the quality of of users in our early days. Um, and then we you know, we are aware of over seven figures of sync success having been derived from connections made on the platform mm-hmm. already, which is exciting um, to, to to see. Well, would I say, uh, I guess it's fair to say you're the future of the sync business. <laughs> well, we'd like to hope so. We don't want to take any any credits or anything from anybody else out there. Um, <laughs> uh, given your background and in experimental media and sync, uh, what is your vision for the future uh, of collaborative music platforms? And how does Curdle fit into the evolving landscape? Um. I mean, I would say that, again, like collaboration is, is really key. Um, and that a lot of that is driven by interoperability, which is a huge priority for us. 
Um, I think days are a little bit over of saying, I'm building a product in a vacuum. Um, it's very important to us that our solution talks to as many other platforms as possible, um, be it on the data level, as I was saying, through DDEX, CWR, um, the other you know metadata standards, but also APIs with third-party solutions that are providing services to artists and rights holders at different stages of the stack. Um, I think that's very, very important for any product in general in technology these days to be highly plug and play and interoperable because you can't be everything to everyone. So you want to mm-hmm. be you you, you want to be fill, filling that um, that usefulness in the value chain where you fit in. Very interesting. Uh, really, this is an incredible journey you had so far, uh, Sanders. Really. Um, the music industry known uh, for its challenges and setbacks. Uh, can you share some difficult moment that you faced in your career and how did you overcome it? Overcome it? Uh, well, starting a, a company right before the pandemic unknowingly uh, was, was not the best. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, we actually formed the company about three months before uh, the lockdown yeah. happened. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I think, you know, going through those first couple years of development with the team, uh, navigating a new fully remote world was, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a challenge for sure. Everyone experienced that. I think on the music industry level, something yes. that has, has been, I guess, educational for us yes. is navigating the mindsets maybe the the more outdated mindsets of competition in the music industry Mm -hmm. i think there Mm -hmm. is this old school idea that you can kind of put up a wall and be in a space with full opacity and no one can see inside um and that's how you keep you know that's how you maximize your margins i actually think that that mindset's changing a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's been forced to, just like most industries, there are products that have come along that have sort of challenged that notion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's exciting to see a new guard of executives coming up in the large companies who are saying, actually, no, we need to be aligning with solutions that move us into a more internationalized, globalized space, doing more volume. Correct. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're surrendering our competitive advantage. It just means that we're we're acknowledging that music is a unique industry and that we are all kind of partners on music rights, even though we're competitors as businesses. Yes. So, you know, how can we utilize solutions to, to more effectively um, maximize our earnings and our, our, our exploitation potential? I more think partnerships and collaborations. Exactly. exactly. This is it. More yeah. partnerships and collaboration. And that's where the business really, I see it coming, coming to right now. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are great insights. Again, I keep saying it. Um, uh, what are some of the common misconceptions that people uh, have, uh, you know, about the music industry? Um, well, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, I I think that you know, being in like tech circles, having friends working outside the business uh, on technology and other sectors, people tend to look at businesses in a uniform way and say like, oh, it's the music industry and they put it alongside like renewable energy, right? I think it's very different um, when you're inside, uh, you know, a, a music or media company, you realize how much music is driven by passion, gut instinct, you know, Wild West kind of run and gun deal making, right? Like this is what's sort of been the history of music 
And so when people come into the music business with a tech mindset and they don't know that, and they're like, we're going to, you know, solve X and Y problem by innovating on blah, blah, blah. Most people, it's going in one ear and out the other because they're like, you don't understand the way that this works. Like, this is my friend. He's my boy from this. We grew up here and then we were in this band together and then now he's managing this band. And then, you know, that's how the music industry works. And so... Um, I think there is a common misconception that, oh, how come music's so messy? No one's fixing that over there. Why is that so, you know, we could just come in here and fix it. It's like, no, (laughs) it's a lot more nuanced than that, as you know. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. You need both. You definitely need both. The music business still have that. I wouldn't say old mentality, but it's built in a different way. You know, definitely. A lot of interaction, a lot of interaction. That's how you build a music company. Yeah. You know. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. The tech makes the process much easier, obviously. But still, as you said, there's a lot of gut feeling, a lot of instinct, a lot of uh, intuition, a lot of a lot of that in the music business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, collaboration is often a key element in the music world. Uh, could you share a memorable collaboration story that you or someone that you worked with kind of left an impact on you? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, too many to name. Honestly, I've been so lucky to have met. Give us some exciting ones. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe I'll go back to my first sync. Um, So yes, my partner, Jerry, he was working at a music publisher. But one of the clients that um, that they worked with a lot was a music supervision company in Los Angeles. Yes, run by um, run by a guy named Jason Alexander and Rudy Chung. So their company was called Hit the Ground Running. Um, a lot of incredible work for TV and film. And when I came out to LA, we became very close with those guys, did a lot of work together. Um, and they were not only big mentors for me in the early days um, on you know improving my craft, but when we eventually decided to, to start Cordal, we basically worked with them and their team very, mm-hmm. very closely for a few years, essentially modeling the experience of using this as a music supervisor on their job. And so they, they gave us an incredible lens into their business, how they work. Uh, there was all these things, you know, we made a lot of assumptions. They would say, okay, maybe, but no, no one's gonna get that the way that that's presented or, um, okay, maybe that's like the shortest distance between two points, but people are used to doing it that way. So we, we need to like handhold them through. So as a result, I think, I mean, it was an incredibly invaluable uh, perspective they gave us. It also means that now um, our platform is is really nuanced in its in, in the way it was built for someone who does that job, um, and so the buying experience on the platform is very unique and nuanced compared to the selling experience, and that is a differentiator because I think a lot of sync platforms are sort of like a one size fits all uh, type of, type of approach. So yeah, yeah. Um, technology has a has significantly changed the music landscape. You firsthand, you know that. And how have advancement in technology influenced your work and the music industry as a whole? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously AI is everything. Everyone's talking about AI nonstop in all the ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we're navigating, everyone's navigating this new era of rights management. What is it going to mean for traditional ownership structure? Um, you know, attribution these are evolving in real time um we're watching these headlines and involved in these conversations obviously um for us i mean because we're not in the generative space we are trying to leverage ai as much as possible 
not to replace people, but to augment their workflows. So we, you know, we work with third-party partners on AI products. We also have our own proprietary AI. That's our recommendations, algorithms, um, pricing algorithms. And we're just, you know, doubling down on those as a, as a way to enhance the, you know, the impact that a sync team or an individual can have. Like how far can they get out there? How can their music be discovered? Um, how can they intelligently price their music based on their territories and the medias they're working in? These are all ways that we're trying to use it because, I mean, it's, it's definitely, we're living in a completely new world already. Yes. Yes. It's moving fast, <laughs> really fast. <laughs> uh, how do you stay updated, uh, you know, Grayson? What's, you know, what's your uh, ways of being, you know, innovative and, you know, keeping up with the latest trends and inv innovations and all of that? And, you know, the oh, well, industry is I mean, always changing. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, definitely industry trades, uh, of course, reading religiously and, and being on LinkedIn. Um, but I would say, honestly, my favorite thing is keeping up with a regular dinner group. Um, there are a few folks that, I, that I'm very close with, industry people who put on these wonderful um, kind of salon dinners relatively frequently, mm -hmm. where it's just like-minded people working in different parts of the business there's, you know, there's very little that can't be covered over a long meal and some wine and, yeah. and just brainstorming and, and you know, debating even sometimes. So I love that. I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's invaluable to be able to like have someone passionately explain where they're coming from and be like, Hmm, what do I think about that? Cause a lot of these issues that we're, that we're navigating right now are kind of existential, right? Like in a lot of ways, yes. there are things that, yes. there are things that we're like, Oh, what does this mean for everything that I've, done so far in my career what does this mean for where we're all going and um how does the value chain look and so i think I that that personal kind of human component is important <laughs> yes absolutely well great this is absolutely great um you know for many of our listeners uh you know who you know going to be inspired by this interview when they watch you and listen to our conversation it's like, hmm, you know, how, you know, they're inspired to follow your footsteps or so get in a sync business as somebody who wants to work in it or probably somebody who wants to start their own path in, in that kind of line of business in the music industry. What's your advice to them? Well, I mean, I think in general, I, I don't really believe in taking the fast road uh, in general. I like to... I like to tell people that it's easy to be distracted by bright, shiny mm -hmm. objects. Mm -hmm. um, there is always going to be that new buzzy thing. There's always going to be that new, hey, everyone look over here. All the VCs, VCs are throwing money at this thing. That's mm -hmm. going to happen every few years um, for the rest of time. I think that it's important to, to absorb that, to stay on the pulse of what's going on so that you understand your context because context is key. Yes. But I really do believe that if you focus on what you're doing well, you've done your, your research, you're surrounding yourself with good people, you're an independent thinker. I think if you, if you stick to those core things, the cream always rises. People, people will always be, they will always notice something that, that, um, that is adding true value and utility, whether it's purely creative. If you're an artist and you want to, you know, break through the noise as an artist, like, Keep building a good brand, be unique, be independent, make amazing music, 
meet the right people, like you're going to get through. And same thing goes for having a tech company. I think it's, it's the same. Here we go for our listeners, a sound breaker, please. This is from <laughs> coming to you. I wouldn't say live, but from, you know, Grayson <laughs> Sanders, you know, uh, these are very important tips and free. So please take notes of it. Um, <laughs> you know, before we wrap up this exciting, interesting interview, which I really enjoyed, um, anything, anything you want to promote or tell us what's coming. If you were working on something that you guys going to be releasing soon and you know, you're working on. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we are going to be releasing portal for artists uh, very soon. So right now, as you know, we have a business platform. We're working B2B. with like publishers and reps. Yes. Yeah, it's B2B, but Portal for Artists is coming very soon. I can't give you a, a date, um, but uh, it's it's uh, certainly within next year. Um, and uh, along with that, I mean, over the last month, we've rolled out a ton of new, um, as I was talking about AI before, a ton of new AI tools for businesses uh, in addition to, uh, you know, a huge project management suite for media companies and um, and uh, music supervisors, which will help drive the exposure for artists on the opportunity side. So um, it's all exciting. Cordol for Artists, is it going to be... Yes, stay tuned to it, please. Um, Cordol for Artists, is it going to be a subscription base? Or is it... What's the, the plan for that? Uh, yes, and I, I can't oh, speak... Oh, is it... I shouldn't ask that. If I did, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I can't speak fully to the model um, on, yeah. the, on the call, but uh, but yes, it, there will be a subscription component. Great, great. Well, you guys done a fantastic job. This uh, concludes our great episode today uh, of Soundbreaker. And please make sure to follow us on social and stay tuned to our next episode. See you and thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Bob. Take care. Likewise. This podcast is presented by Music Dash, world's first AI-powered independent distribution CMS. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share the Soundbreaker podcast. And if you are joining us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time.